that you once thought sucked, but now you realize that they rock. They might still suck. Fear and Loathing Podcast. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing and Cinema Podcast. It is June 27th. It is the last few days of June, and it is hot as hell in Texas. We're all in Texas, but we're going to talk about the movies you once hated, but now you're going to love because we're going to tell you to love them. We're going to tell you why to love them here on Fear and Loathing and Cinema Podcast. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the two most trusted counselors in the world, Preston Barta and Dan Moran. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm just a man sitting in a yellow Lamborghini, looking out the windshield, enjoying my life. How are you, boys? Oh, the, the boys. The boys are fine. Preston, you doing all right? Yeah, doing well. I had catfish for breakfast. I'm trying not to lose my my head there, friendo. Yeah, friendo. Yeah, which it, all these hints are happening right now. And of course, if you caught on the movie we're talking about today on fear and loathing in cinema is the counselor yes the counselor released october 25th of 2013 the same day the same year that jackass bad grandpa was released in theaters as well you want to know Uh, something else kind of funny what that is my exact wedding day really wait october October 25th 2013 yeah, I got the tattoo to prove it. 10, you do, 13. you do. So the counselor holds a special place in your heart, or does Bad Grandpa? I, you know, I never saw Bad Grandpa. Uh, so I did happen to find my review from North Texas Daily, the University of North Texas newspaper. And uh, I was surprised to learn that I was like, oh my God, this thing came out on my anniversary. No wonder I didn't like it at the time because I, because I saw it right before I got married. Right. And we'll get into that. Why that's kind of weird. But um, so first off, before we get into the counselor, I just want to ask Dan, Dan, this was your pick. And I'm curious, why did you pick the counselor? Was it something that's been in the back of your brain or it's like, well, what, why did you pick the counselor? Well, it is considered a horrible movie by I think the large majority of the world I do not hate it one bit and actually I like it a little bit more after watching it again over the past week and I actually went to the library and got the screenplay and read the screenplay um, to see what Cormac McCarthy was all was doing because this was his first real screenplay he ever did and so then he passed away and I was like you know what the other adaptations of his movies or of his books are so damn good. I'm talking like Oscar winning, some of the best things I've ever seen on screen. Let's talk about the real piece of shit that everyone refers to <laughs> Cormac McCarthy whenever they talk about his movies. Because this movie has everything should work in it. The cast, the director, Cormac McCarthy wrote it, the production design, the setting, the topic, everything about it is perfect 
So, so that's what I want to ask. That's what I want to ask, Dan. Okay, so the counselor released October 25th, 2013. Directing this movie is Ridley Scott, the guy who did Blade Runner, Alien, Gladiator. And then you have Cormac McCarthy, who did No Country for Old Men. And then a cast, Michael Fassbender, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, Brad Pitt, Javier Bardem, John Leguizamo, Rosie Perez, Dan, Dan and Preston saying all of that stuff. Why did this movie get shit on? Why do people hate this movie? Why does it have a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes? What happened? Because with that being said, this movie should have been Oscar winner everything, right? I I think I have the answer after reading the screenplay. Cormac McCarthy does not give a shit about the audience. He drops you into the middle of a drug deal. There's no flashbacks to explain what's going on. You have to pick up every piece of the story and every character motivation, betrayal, relationship, role in this um, in this drug crossing thing. You have to pick it all up just from watching the movie. And some of it doesn't all fall into place until you're an hour and like 20 minutes in and you get 25 minutes left in the movie. And that's how he wrote it too. I just don't... He just doesn't care. He says, this is the story I'm telling. You can pick it up or you can put it down, but here's where we're starting. Here's where we're finishing it. And I'm not going to give anything to the audience. There's no happy ending. There's no winners. Um, everyone's a loser. And so you leave it feeling dirty, feeling like you lost, feeling like the people you, everyone who you quote unquote could root for ends up dead. <laughs> so it's just... It's a terrible, terrible mixture for someone who's not used to his books because his books are very bleak and very dark. And even in No Country for Old Men, in the book, they don't show, he doesn't describe Llewellyn Moss getting killed, who is played in the in the movie um, by Josh Brolin. And people, I remember when that movie came out, people were like, they just killed him off screen. And then there's these guys in the trucks driving away from a motel. I was like, that's how he does it in the book. Like Cormac McCarthy just doesn't give a shit about his audience. In that regard, he respects them enough to be like, if you don't understand what's going on, I don't care. And since this was his first and I guess only screenplay, you can tell that if, if he had written this as a book, you would have had the long inner monologues. You would have had so much more understanding of the character motivations. But on the page, it's just. That's what it is. It's, <laughs> it's a screenplay. Exactly what was written is on screen. There's like very few fat on this. There's like barely anything that's trimmed out of the actual movie. Like he he wrote this and they just shot it almost word for word. I love that you went to the library and got the screenplay for The Counselor. And I love that they had it. That's crazy. <laughs> hey, Dan, is that the, is that considered the unrated edition that came out? Because that's what I watched. I watched that earlier this morning it's about 20 minutes longer than the theatrical cut uh i'm guessing because the stuff that's added in here is more bad language and a lot more sexual stuff and i believe okay. that's what's in the unrated movie yeah i i don't know because the last time i saw it was when i watched it in 2013 when he I got married i yeah i've got to yeah. ask so when we also so interestingly enough i did not see this in the theater at a press screening um 
the same day, sometimes the studios do this, they show two movies on the same day, you have to choose. So most of the Dallas film critics went to go see The Counselor. I would argue that's probably the right decision. I went to go see Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa <laughs> with Johnny Knoxville, and I think I was one of three people that went to that. Um and I remember coming out, it got out about the same time and everybody's face coming out of the counselor was just like, God damn, what a piece of shit. And I came out, I was like, this was the best movie ever. And then, you know, lo and behold, cut to a couple of years later, the counselor made 70 million, bad grandpa made 160 million. <laughs> and it's just like, what's going on? But now Preston, Preston, you got married to this movie. Tell me about going into this movie. Yeah, we didn't use the Bible. It was this. It was the screenplay. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about going it, watching it for the first time, and then um, getting married. <laughs> um, I'm trying to recall. All I remember after the movie is that I hung on to one line of that from that film. I may have brought it up on this podcast before. I think it's one of my favorite romantic lines in a movie ever and it's when michael fassbender's character tells penelope cruz's character um that life is being in bed with you and everything else is waiting i think that's one of the most romantic lines i've ever heard and something that is just so true it doesn't have to be sexual or anything just being in bed and just being lazy and just not feeling like you have to take on the worries outside of the bed frame. So uh, I love that line. And so I hung on to that. And I also thought I'm fucked. You're fucked. Everybody's fucked after seeing this movie, pretty much what Dan was saying. Uh, it. I even, I pulled up my review and I think I said something like, uh, where is it? I said, <laughs> where uh, I said I like something about vomit. Like this is a, sh a movie that makes you feel like you need to shower and vomit after seeing it. And I compared it to walking out of Nicholas Wynn and Refn's only God forgives that year. Um, not probably from a disappointment standpoint, but also just feeling like humanity is completely hopeless and what are we living for? I had like the same kind of mentality as Danny McBride's character at the end of Up in the Air, where he's like, "What's the point? Like, what? Why? Why am I doing all this? Like, I'm just, I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna die, and then, and then there's nothing." And so, um, then I have to really think about uh, uh, George Clooney's words of, "Life's better with a co-pilot." So. If you're gonna, if you're fucked anyway, might as well enjoy it with the company you're with. So, um, I did not like it at all when I first saw it. Um, I just had because I was getting married uh, in a few days, and what am I supposed to take away from a relationship that is so sweet and like you understand it, but there's a shady side to its central character played by Michael Fassbender, but the relation, the core relationship there is like so recognizable and the same types of feelings that he had about, you know, calling his wife or, or his, his uh, fiance and being like, I miss you. And um, 
and like the brutal honesty of like their discussions, like even in their dirty talk stuff is like super uncomfortable, but everybody does that. And so it's just like a shade of a relationship that we don't really get on screen. And after watching it, I was like, dude, Cormac McCarthy for how old he was at the time that he wrote this, one of the dirtiest old men that I've ever I, I like I just picture uh this is what you're gonna be like, Brian, when you're older. You're gonna be writing words like comparing vaginas to being on screen uh, on glass uh windows and comparing it to cats. I already do that. I already yeah, do it. that. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, I did not like it after seeing it the first time. However, ten years later now, I think this movie's pretty riveting. Um I I don't I find that kind of odd because this movie deals with, you know, as I said, like a, a relationship there, but also, you know, family and all the uh, just things that make you feel hopeful as a person and all that just coming completely undone. And I don't know what that says about me, that what happened in the past 10 years that I'm just willing to allow so much of this negativity and just, uh disgustingness of I, I don't i don't know maybe it's because i've had time to digest it i've seen a lot more effed up movies since then and um i i love sicario and sicario's not too far off from this kind of feeling um and so uh but taste I, changed yeah, though taste great. changed taste changed over yeah. years yeah, yeah. Uh, hey that's why we do this that's that is exactly why we do this but i have a question for both of you First time you saw it, did you have any idea what was going on? Like just from an honest, because I remember walking out of theater being like, I'm I'm missing, like, there's a real missing in this movie that because I was just so used to movies being so spoon-fed to me. Even Sicario is so straightforward, explains every single thing that happens. You have the beginning, middle, end of all the conflict. In this, you just need to pick up on the fact that Michael Fassbender is an attorney. Mm -hmm. He is he is an associate with Javier Bardem's character, who is an offshoot of the cartel, and he does legitimate lawyer business for him, but nothing illegal or problematic. However, he wants to get married, and he wants to do one job. You know, like, I, it, I, on the first time I watched it through, I did not pick up these things. I'll just be perfectly blunt and honest about it. It was maybe the second or third time that I saw this movie. And then obviously yesterday or um, the weekend after reading the screenplay, I knew exactly what was going on. But it's like the pieces to pick up, um, even even for people like us who watch movies nonstop, like they're there. But you have to be like paying attention. I think that's what turned yeah. a lot of people off is it's an unforgiving. Movie. If you take a pee break, you're just as lost as if <laughs> you, you know. Right. I think, you know, so I didn't see it at the press screen. I did end up seeing it when it came out on home video for the first time. And back then when I was watching it, I understood, like, I got it. I understood, like, what the characters were doing and where the story was going. Maybe at the time I was thinking, hey, like, this isn't this isn't as fluid as I would want it to be because I'd seen other movies kind of almost similar. And the flow of it and how the characters were presented and how it kind of flowed from start to finish just was all wonky to me but i kind of got the gist of it and i just thought at the time i was like okay there's some cool violent stuff here there's some cool actors in here but overall i was kind of just not really paying that close attention to it 
And then interestingly enough, you know, over the last few years, there was a hit Netflix show called Ozark, which borrows a lot from the counselor, I think, in the way that there is like a seemingly normal family or couple that works with the cartel, you know, and just wants to do business with the cartel without any of the craziness. And I think the counselor does that even perfectly well. And I don't know, Dan, you're a lawyer. This is your life. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I just think that this lawyer played by Michael Fassbender is like, yeah, I work for this cartel. I'm untouchable. I want to get my toes wet a little bit. You know, I'm, I, they're not going to, cause I help them. I can do anything. And then you get caught up in all of that. And then you see that the cartel is everywhere. Like they can control anything. And I think that's like the main, like John Wick, you know, they're just, they're just everywhere. Like <laughs> John the, Wick, the whole, just like the, everywhere. All the assassins but, are just out there. And the thing with <laughs> The one thing that struck me, you know, I, I fully agree with you. And then you have like, okay, Michael Fassbender also was assigned to an appeal of Rosie Perez is conviction. So he's writing an appeal and you're assigned that by a federal judge. Like he doesn't get to pick that client. And then that her son just so happens to be the courier mm-hmm. for the cartel. And Cameron Diaz's character, who's back cro- double crossing everyone, essentially, knows like weak if we have him get him out of this DWI or whatever he was picked up for with the bike. It'll make it look like this was all this big plan and we figured it out to steal it. It's just, there's so much going on. That's brilliant. Um, It's just not digestible, I think on the first viewing. And I think that's what really hurt people because reading, I went back and read some of the reviews and most of them are just like this dumb movie is, sad and makes no sense and leaves everyone feeling really bad when they leave the theater and a lot of people trashed cameron diaz which i'm assuming we're going to get to but she's fucking awesome in this movie she is really good i don't think there's a bad performance in this movie at all like the old reviews talked about her doing this and that and the costumes and whatnot i was like she was amazing in this movie. Like she was like one of the few times where I'm like, Oh, she's a legitimately good actress. She doesn't always have to be the rom-com girl or the silly comedy, but she is like terrifying in this movie at times. Great haircut too. Great haircut. Because like when you first see Cameron Diaz in this movie, she's kind of the architect of this whole scheme to steal of all your pain mr bond yeah that's what she is and like like you say mr bond she has these costumes that she wears this wardrobe that is very villainous at the beginning and then by the end she's in a hoodie she's cloaked she's kind of like trying to hide and be like a black widow type of thing and it's like man she played chess with everybody and everybody else was playing checkers and she did it? I mean, it was she so was cool a that she F was and cheetah man hunting bunnies, <laughs> right? Right. That's and that was the great symbolism in the film with the cheetahs at the beginning and towards the end when Javier Bardem meets his demise. And I just, I mean, this movie, I think, I, I don't know, Preston. Do you think that people just uh, like Dan said? didn't understand it the first time go around because there's so much here 
I don't know, look at, again, going back to my review and trying to look at the things that I probably had problems with, I felt like maybe because I just wasn't enjoying myself that I just dismissed everything that was happening. I wasn't being able to fully comprehend everything and take it all in. Um, so to answer Dan's question earlier, I can't recall like everything that I may have missed in it. I did capture the gist, but I don't, I don't think I picked up on Cameron Diaz's character and what her plans were and everything like that. I think that really came uh, to, I was able to fully grasp that this go around and pick up on like those little things, like the, the little metaphors that are sprinkled throughout here. And I think that's what makes it great watching it now uh, compared to then, because I think then when I was watching it, I was like, why are these scenes like just going on for so long? And like, you could easily just cut those in half and, and like everybody's talking to each other with like, like very philosophically and it's, it's very elevated language. And I think I was pissed at that at the time. And then now when I watch things like I gravitate towards that, I'm like, dude, yeah, this language isn't necessarily a part of our world, but I'm fully sucked into this world that he created. And, and so watching like these extended se sequences play out, you kind of get sucked into what the stories are because you're like, why is, why is uh, Javier Bardem's character bringing up that story about the catfish thing? Because it's so interesting that after it, even Michael Fassbender's character is like, puzzled by the significance of it too and then even Javier Bardem's like like I don't I don't really know it's just like maybe I'm scared and like that whole thing is very fascinating to me about the conversations we may have been like or situations that we've been in maybe not quite like that but have been uh kind of you know in our minds for so long um and th there's conversations toward the end between Michael Fassbender and somebody and we've all maybe hopefully not, have been in situations where we feel like we're doomed, like maybe something happened in our lives and we're trying to have a conversation with, with somebody and we're, we're trying to hang on to this, you know, reality of, you know, turning it around, like we have control over it, but we don't. And so that's why I love the conversation at the end that Michael Fassbender has on the phone when he's crying is because it, it it's it's so haunting to me that this guy is just, He's out of his element. He has no control anymore. And he just has to accept his fate. And so and it's, and it's darker it's too because it's it's darker too because that's the cartel guy. And rather than just have him killed, yeah. he's just like, No, your life as you knew it is over. That life ceased to exist. Now yeah. you have a new life. And I'm like, poet. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it's so dark. It's so yeah. dark. It, it's way darker than uh, like in Star Trek 2009, making Spock watch his whole planet explode. Essentially, that's kind of what's happening here, except it's like, this is going to really stick the hooks in you. Right. So I'm curious. We have to talk about Brad Pitt as oh, West yeah. Trey in this movie. Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. In this film, he plays a dude named West Trey. He's kind of like the little helper. It's kind of like the dude in a video game giving you the quest and like helping you out, like giving you some wisdom. He has long Welcome hair. He wears, yeah, he, he's got long hair. He wears a cowboy hat. And I must say, 
is his death not the coolest death in cinema? Like that dude goes balls out yelling. Like it's just such a good scene. Yeah. It's it's actually in the script whenever he realizes he's screwed and he, when he kicks his feet, like in frustration, like it's like, he's not even struggling, but when he first like sits down and is like, like, (laughs) you know, like a child almost having a quick little temper tantrum and he realizes like, I put myself in this position um it's it's amazing he's he's the broker who helps like move the money around for these guys who do deals with the cartel and he tells fastbender's character exactly how the cartel would take someone out who double crosses them in the beginning of the movie and because they think he double crossed them they take him out by putting a bolo tie around his neck and it's a mechanical wire that just you put around the neck and it doesn't stop until it decapitates you (laughs) And it's yeah. horrific to watch. It is. But like he just go he because what you said, he explains all of this to Michael Fassbender. He I says, thought, wait, wait, isn't it Javier Bardem that explains it? I'm pretty oh. sure it's because that, that originally I did think that Brad Pitt set characters set that up. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's Javier Bardem that actually sets it up. Oh. So maybe it is Javier Bardem, but I remember Brad Pitt telling Michael Fassbender, like, you have made your bet you have to lay in it you know yeah. type of thing like i'm gonna leave you should leave too and he's taking all these precautions brad pitt is taking all these precautions to get out and when it happens when the people come up with him nonchalantly and put the thing around his neck he's just like oh fuck you but he's yeah. just yeah. having the he, smiled, he even laughs yeah and it i That's... think and like how they showcase the whole death scene with his fingers and his throat and just people watching it happen. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the coolest deaths that I do not remember, but oh my goodness, that's a death yeah. scene right there, right? Yeah, that's that's easily one of my favorites. Even when they pick up his body, like <laughs> they pick <laughs> his body up and his head still there and falls. And then they just stick it in his lap before they put the the black tarp over him. Right. Yeah. He, he said he said it though, and that's that's the other brilliance of watching the movie you know however many times i've seen it is every one of the men in this all the men in this movie brad pitt point blank says i could have got out i can live in an island i never have to work again i have millions and millions he's like so why do you keep doing he's like i love women like my weakness is women you know you got fast bender who is doing who does all of this because he wants to provide um an over-the-top lifestyle for the woman that he loves that's why he's like, you know what? I'll do this one cartel drug deal. It'll be perfectly fine. And then you get Javier Bardem, who doesn't realize he knows that Cameron Diaz's character is dangerous. He knows that she's a problem, but he's obsessed with her and is so just intrigued yeah. with her that she has the inside track. The only reason why Brad Pitt dies is because Malinka knows about Westray because she's with Javier Bardem. Like, they would have been fine. It's just, it's wild to me. It's all of it that all three guys the weaknesses hey you all got caught up with the ladies right you did and i gotta ask preston since you were getting married to this movie basically um (laughs) malinka cameron diaz's character there's a scene with her and javier bardem where she says to him like almost verbatim like i'm not gonna be here if this happens i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be here and he goes uh He's like, well, okay, yeah. It's like, 
it's something that he likes her more than she likes him, but he has this obsession with Malenka that he can't get over. And I don't know. What did you remember this scene in it? I was like wondering that it was like, is that is that capture your relationship with your wife at all? Um, like, I didn't know where <laughs> yes, you yes, go with is, that, is, is that the relationship you two have? No, uh, yeah. going no, in- I think. I think that scene and just like a lot of the other scenes that I've already described or we have described, it's they're, they're haunting and raw. I I find that that relationship and the way that it goes out, it's just like, all right, well, you know, like it just feels so human for a, mu- a, a movie that's so about like dehumanization or how, whatever you want to call it. Like even No Country is kind of feeling that way with um Tommy Lee Jones character waking up to the dehumanized world at the end. And it's just kind of cold and there's just a coldness to everything that happens in here down to like Javier Bardem getting like shot in the ass and then shot in the head. And then people come and take his clothes and and it's just like, Jesus Christ, man, nobody is walking away from this clean. And um, there's even like, I'm kind of haunted by the, the body in the barrel sequence and about it just being like, Oh, well, you know, we just, uh, John Leguizamo's character from uh, John wick fame. Um, <laughs> yeah. Him like setting up this whole story about like, yeah, they, you know, they put a body in there as a joke and in the container with the drugs as they, you know, take it from uh, the, the Mexico border into the U S up to Chicago. And it's like, you know, buried in, a septic tank and all the shit and everything. And, and then you're, they're like, what's in that fourth barrel? They show the body in there. It's like slowly decomposing. And they're like, what do you do with it? Listen, you know, just put it back in there. They may sell the truck one day. Which um, is funny because like, in that scene, Asak Schrader from uh, Dean Norris from Breaking yeah. Bad is in that show. And in Breaking Bad, lots of scenes with bodies and barrels <laughs> decomposing. Yeah. You know, it's just nice that Cormac McCarthy went out of his way with how dark this movie is to show that the cartel has a real good sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really funny, guys, is you just have that body. It's a traveler, or they call it a passenger. He well, just I, I, travels around. I'm still so curious because it's like the counselor is the movie you saw before your wedding, Preston. I was like, did you go into any of this like thinking of like the how these guys or these relationships were just like so they were so much in love with each other like because like with Penelope Cruz and Michael Fassbender even in that first scene you know under the sheets and everything's very angelic with the white sheets flowing and it feels like heaven and uh and then of course we know what happens there it's just like uh, I don't know I it's it's amazing that this was the movie before (laughs) it's just so good yeah, I mean, I did not anticipate any of this at all. I think going into it, I was like, oh, you know, I love No Country for Old Men. I was a bit, the road was hard to swallow. And so I figured maybe we might have something in between, at least something that I can stew on. Uh, I didn't know I was going to stew on this kind of material for as long as I did, having only seen it uh, twice now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like, like, like I said, I, I just... I, I thought about it for quite a bit, but I think for most of those 10 years, I've been very dismissive towards it. Like I didn't want to allow any of that to enter into my mind again, outside of the the line that I described in uh, Brad Pitt's death and things like that. 
but yeah, watching it now, I'll probably be stewing on it. Just being very fascinated by so much of it. Cause I think everything just so deliberately done, like even down to the begin, the very beginning of the movie, um, when Michael Fassbender's like trying to pick out a diamond for his wife uh, or what he's going to use to propose to. And it's, like, it's a long scene where they're just talking about diamonds. And then you think about it later and you're like, geez, there's like something to mine from that whole conversation and like what it, cause it, there, there's so much to the language of the film, uh, even with what's unsaid sometimes like there, I got uh, to go back to that other sequence with the uh, Michael Fassbender has with the cartel at the very end. I feel like I really want to know like what was going through Ridley Scott's mind and a lot of the collaborators he worked with, with like setting these scenes, because you have to think of things. You can only shoot a conversation so many ways. And I feel like he perfectly Uh, art visually articulated like who these characters are and we have a good understand sense of them based off of you know walking around uh, the cartel guy walking around his room and trying to like create some sense for Michael Fassbender's character as he's getting you know tea poured for him or whatever it is and I'm just, it's just I'm another just... day to the cartel it's yeah, nothing yeah. yeah and that's what makes it scary is that so much of this craziness is normalized the guy that is um when uh, the two the two guys that decapitate uh, the Green Hornet mm -hmm. and they get in the truck, they're they're on their way to uh, take the truck to where it needs to go, and then they get uh, picked over. up by who they think is police officers, or initially until they realize that well they're cartel, so we need to you know take care of this situation, and then it, it's very cold and um, the way that it goes down, and then like one of the cartel guys is killed. The other one shot in the leg and then he gets in the in the truck and then he goes to a place to get a, just like John Wick gets the whole situation mopped up. Yeah. And <laughs> and then he's like sent on his way and the just like casualness that that guy is bringing to this is very scary to think about. And so I very much just identify with Javier Bardem's character with almost everybody in here and being like. I don't know what to think of all these people, but I'm fascinated by them. I'm scared by them. And uh, yeah, what is the meaning of life? Well, they're motivated by money and power, and that's what it was. And exactly, they did it. They they showcased it so well in this. And I love that between Michael Fassbender and the head cartel at the end because they, uh, the cartel head of the cartel, the jefe, basically reads some poetry by Machado to Michael Fassbender as Michael Fassbender is reeling from a very eight millimeter type of situation with Penelope Cruz. And I think by not showing it, but just having it this. So Michael Fassbender's soon to be wife, uh, his fiance Penelope Cruz is picked up by the cartel and it is to be she she is killed and decapitated but i guess they talk about making snuff film the cartel making snuff films and at the end of the movie fast bender receives a dvd a blank dvd that just says ola on it probably suggesting that they use yeah. penelope cruz in a snuff film and then decapitated her and 
that just seeing the written word Ola with the movie, it says so it's so much more powerful than actually him putting a tape in and watching it. What do you think so? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause we, cause we know because uh, Cormac McCarthy is very good at like dangling or, or, or leaving down, laying down the breadcrumbs as we mentioned with the decapitation device and and it's just interesting to see like oh where is that going to come up i don't know if i was thinking that at the time uh but now watching it and then being like oh man this thing had a whole journey itself it wasn't it wasn't it was it had like a character arc and so yeah it was crazy what do you think about that dan i mean it's uh, it's much more devastating to imagine it than what we would have got if they had shown anything happening to her other than the airport when she gets picked up at the airport i was like that was enough and they even do the little code at the end of her body being dumped in the yep where is that like in the landfill trash yeah. yeah in the landfill and it just it's getting covered up by like sushi to go bags or something you know it's just like such a nothing it's just like she was a commodity that michael fassbender lost because he bet he bet on the wrong horse he got he should have never been involved in it. and it's just tragic to her because she had nothing to do with any of this at all she was as innocent as a bystander in this movie as you could possibly be she didn't know about she was just like oh he's an attorney and yeah he has these weird friends who own nightclubs you know she didn't know that he was pretty much betting her life his life um, to try to get one score through the cartel so just awful and then they just allow um for the the cartel boss the jefe to just allow, read him some poetry and be like your world ceased to exist and he's like until annihilation comes this is your this is your new world and he's like okay i got some calls to make and maybe if there's time i'll take a nap and then just hangs up on him i'm like all right yeah. it's okay dark it's crazy it's so good though so i have a question for you all i have a question Okay. Is the counselor a prequel to the movie Shame with Michael <laughs> Fassbender? I hope you can tell by the laughter. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, it makes sense. You know, he's lost everything, he's and then now he's gonna go and you know try and have you know fuck his way out of it, really. Enter shame, right? It's almost Fair. a perfect transition. What was his um Occupation. what was his job? Was he an attorney? He was something your your computer's filthy. <laughs> That's what I remember. I'm trying to remember the what shame was, uh what he played in shame, but it's uh it just he it says he's an executive living in New York City. I'm telling you, I think it might it might be. But going back to the counselor, do you think that if most of the people that hated this movie were to see it again today, do you think this movie would probably have close to an 80 or 90 percent rating? If they got a second view, I don't know, maybe. Um... I I think it's more interesting, especially in today's climate or whatnot, because like I said, Cameron Diaz is a very strong villain 
character in this movie and she gives a great performance and she wins in the end she gets away with it no one knows she's involved she has all the money um it's actually more interesting and this the one thing that is changed from the screenplay to the movie is in the movie at the very end the guy that she's eating with and talking about how you can have like 200 million dollars in the palm of your hand diamonds are the easiest way to move currency it's her banker or someone she has a relationship with in the book it's an escort just a male escort that she's just unloading on and talking to but she's paying for him to be there it's just a good-looking guy who's like oh and so what do you do and just they're just talking and it shows just even how alone she is like she's alone on her own she's just a predator out there by herself she doesn't have any relationships with anyone and i understand it with the banker she was like this is the last time you'll ever see me this is the last thing we'll ever do together like for your safety for mine so it, it worked but i thought it was much more um if you can get any darker for her to just be like nope i'm paying for company at this michelin star restaurant and talking to this guy about cheetahs and talking to him about diamonds and he's just like so so what do you do with the diamonds like it's he's just an idiot escort in this one instead of her banker who's helped her before um so i think that people would if they were to rewatch it now especially with how our culture is about strong female characters and about the drug trade and with the success of like breaking bad sicario all of those kinds of topics i think it would be more favorably looked upon and i think that cameron diaz could honestly i don't look at the nominees in 2013 but she could have got a, at least a golden globe supporting actress nomination and it, it would not have bothered me one bit it would have been 100 percent deserved it's interesting yeah. it's interesting i agree same thing with michael fassbender i think yeah. he's very good in this especially like just like his his single tear stuff yeah. And then like really crying at the end. Like I it doesn't feel fake. It feels like he's legit, feels like he's messed up and he's facing the sins, which is another interesting thing of uh Cameron Diaz's character going into that confessional after having that conversation with Penelope Cruz's character and there and, and she goes in there to try to confess her sins and but they're not gonna hear it. And it's almost the exact same thing being reflected at the end with Michael Fassbender's character of feeling like he wants to take, take the sins, uh, you know, face the consequences himself, but he can't, he's being pushed away. No, it's insane. Yeah. And another I, great, um... another great scene uh, that I really love that kind of like puts his feeling, Michael Fassbender's feelings into perspective is when he's at that bar and he's getting kicked out and the guy is like, you know what? No harm done. Don't worry about it. He's like, no harm. Lovely thought. Magical thought. And I'm just like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, uh, really cool wording. Um, and so I'm, I'm just uh, pulled into the poetry of it all throughout. Good. I um, looked up Michael Fassbender because I was just like, why is he not in more things? Just in general, just like he's such a presence, such a good actor. He has an awesome sounding David Fincher movie coming out um killer that yeah where he's an assassin so i'm like okay cool david fincher assassin awesome but i looked it up he just is like not acted for about four and a half years because he's married to alicia vikander and they live cool. in some like palatial estate in europe and he drives f1 cars and just raises his daughter and i'm like oh yeah 
I get it. Like he can do it. I wouldn't do shit either. Take taking a page out of Rick Moranis's book. Right. Like, which <laughs> is interesting too. Um uh but going back to Cameron Diaz, this movie, The Counselor, was kind of like one of her last movies. Like she was in the remake of Annie the following year, but since then she hasn't been in anything until this upcoming all this controversy around the Jamie Foxx movie for Netflix, the action comedy. Uh, but I'm curious because like she is so good. She's been so she is such a good actress. You know, she's done a lot of comedy and stuff like that, which she's really good at. But she's also done like some wacky dramas and she's a cold blooded like mastermind in this film. I, she's just amazing. And I wish we would see her in more. Yeah, I agree. Her character reminded me a little bit of of just having like this uncertainty or this mystery to her is her character in vanilla sky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you remember that 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 whole scene of like tom cruise and her in the car and then driving off the bridge i was like whoa like uh yeah very similar vibes it is good the counselor's good man i'm, I'm good shocked movie. that this movie doesn't have like a criterion release or a big arrow release. Like it seems like there's so many people involved here in this movie, even with Cormac passing away last week. I wonder if anybody's trying to get this film to like in a big boutique release, because this movie needs to be rediscovered because there's so much to it. Right. I, yeah, I I mean, if it's not a release, I think it should be talked about. I wish it was on a streaming service where we could just link people to it. Um, I don't know why it's just not talked about in the, even in the pantheon of just like great side characters for Brad Pitt. (laughs) He's so good. I mean, he's so good in this and you know, you're curious on how I wonder if it's, a situation where it's like, oh, it's Cormac McCarthy. Oh, it's Ridley Scott. You know, the guy who did Gladiator and all these other movies. Like, where he's making this drug cartel movie. Everybody wants to join in. And then, you know, it releases and people hate it. But I think revisiting, especially here on Fear and Loathing, this deserves a, a second chance. Absolutely. This, this, this podcast agree. is about second chances, people. Yes. Give yes, the counselor a second chance. Yep. It is it is very good. Um any any last remarks, Preston or Dan? Just seek it out. Give it a watch. It's worth it. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm looking through my notes to make sure I didn't uh there's anything that I may have missed, but no, I feel like we kind of captured it really well. I mean, there's all types of uh, lines of dialogue that I just thought were truly fantastic. There's one sequence about that. Uh, a lot of the stuff that Brad Pitt says, and some, he, he says something about, uh, I don't even want to repeat it actually. So, especially with my son right here. <laughs> um, uh, he says something about like two groups of people being in a, oh, no, no, no. That was Javier Bardem's character. He was, he was saying that there's two groups of people. You give them a hundred dollars and you see what they create in a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that one was pretty great. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's worthy of rewatching just for the language alone. I think if you can just try to put aside the disgustingness of it all and just 
just know, I think maybe it helps knowing going in that this is a pretty hopeless movie, but I think you're going to find a lot of value and treasure in the notes in between. Um, try, try not to get, cause maybe that, that was people's thoughts with um, Cameron Diaz's character. They couldn't really pay attention to her performance because everybody was talking about the catfish sequence. And so I don't, I don't think they could pick up on a lot of the nuances of everything. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I think so many of these performances should have been recognized. I even think Penelope Cruz is really great in, in her sequences. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. I'm mad at my 23-year-old self for not giving it the time of day. But now think, we get to revisit it and love it. I think we can leave the our lovely audience with what Ridley Scott blamed for this movie not being successful. So understanding that he's a biased person. But so he goes, you've got Brad Pitt, you've got Cameron Diaz, you've got Javier Bardem, you've got Penelope Cruz, and you've got Michael Fassbender. Are you blank and kidding me? You don't show it, you advert you advertise and you put it out and it'll have a 50 million dollar opening weekend it should have i agree with him like he's he's essentially like you have all these stars and you couldn't figure out how to market that movie to get people to show up and see it and that's why we're here with it i don't know if that would have made people like it more but it certainly would have been more successful if they had figured out a way to market it because look at all we've talked about the whole time is how great every single person in the cast is at their roles. So even if you walk out of it being like, eh, wasn't really for me, too bleak, too whatever, you can still be like, man, Brad Pitt was awesome. Cameron Diaz was incredible. And I don't think they knew they had a hit on their hands. And I wish that it was coming out today, or I wish that they got Ridley Scott to do a six-episode Netflix series or a Apple TV series with this plot and just stretch it out a little bit more. Be incredible. Right. I mean, it's it's a movie. The Counselor is a movie that is, tells a story about the cartel and the inner workings in a non-traditional sense. Like you see a lot of cartel movies, drug cartel movies. You're like, oh, yes, we're going to see this happen and this happen. And Cormac McCarthy turns it upside down and makes it so much more memorable and deep with poetry and uh in extreme violence in these characters that you really do care about on all sides because you do kind of feel for Javier Bardem a little bit and it's just kind of what's happening here and uh I think I think it's a movie that happened before it's time um and you know Johnny Knoxville Jackass presents Bad Grandpa overtook it you know like think about that think about that for a second a movie with no script and just like scenes like out of SNL and uh, prank shows more than doubled what um, more than what doubled what counselor made in theaters. Like that's what, that's what happened. I mean, Hey, I went to see bad grandpa and I loved it. Um, hey, Brian, didn't this happen? Something else that we were discussing recently where we went to go see one thing and you went to go see Jackass three instead. Yeah. yeah. What was it? I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was like the same thing. So many people didn't go to see Jackass three. I was like one of the only ones and people went to go see something else. I was like, dude, Jackass three was so good. <laughs> and Incredible. that's what happened. And like, I love bad grandpa, but there's nothing above the surf but nothing below the surface of bad grandpa but the counselor 
that is storytelling at its finest, like for real. Yep. Agreed. It's good. It's good. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Dan, for picking this movie. The Counselor. We are Fear and Loathing and Cinema Podcast. Thank you always for listening. We're weekly here. Uh, Dan Moran, he is running the Instagram account, Fear and Loathing. Please follow that. Tell tell him what movies you want us to go back and take a look at. Like that's what we want. We want to hear from y'all because we're picking them. We want to hear what you want to you want to see us talk about uh but yeah dan moran he's the man the myth the legend and he's writing reviews on boomstick as well then you have preston barta up up in north texas preston barta with the denton record chronicle with freshfiction.tv his interviews on youtube he's blu-ray dad on instagram go check out his um his excellent insight into the film world and his analysis on how it take what it takes to make movies uh it's always good and his interviews his interviews i play a drinking game with his interviews and take a drink everybody every time one of his um interviewees says great question you'll be drunk within five minutes <laughs> I, th- I, I thought you were gonna maybe say how, how many times he uses his hands because i'm very expressive with my hands <laughs> me too i'm always doing this yeah no every time somebody says oh great question yeah you'll you'll you'll, you'll get sauced real quick there so yeah press and bar to there i'm brian kluger i'm at high def digest boomstick comics um i do a radio show on electromagnetic radio wednesdays from noon till two playing soundtracks and listen to our other shows on the podcast network, My Bloody Podcast, No BS with Brian and Susan. Um, and of course, this one, Fear and Loathing. It's always good. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another gem. Rock on. What's dude. our gem going to be? <laughs> <laughs>